Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest on the phone. She is from where? New York, right? Yeah, she's nice. in New York City. Yeah, New, York New City. York City. I don't know the exact population, but I know that uh, Mark is fascinated with New York and he because. likes to show me the Google Earth just to I can show just walk how up it's. And down the street just to see stacked, yeah, stacked, stacked. Apartments, apartments, vertical apartments. Living, vertical living, yeah. vertical living. How else do you get fucking 8 million fucking people in one? One spot. Well, hey everyone, it's Amanda. I noticed that Mark did the intro tonight super, super quick. And if any of you all noticed that, it's because it is about 15 minutes past the time we were supposed to start recording, but our children are just refusing to go to sleep tonight. Um, so thankfully, Rachel, who is a mother herself, understands a little bit and has been very patient. How many kids are we talking about? How many kids are we talking about? She has a baby. Like a baby baby. A baby baby. Yeah, that guy is eight months old and he's crazy yeah she's got a baby that's that's his baby yeah so she's been very patient while you were that's concave anteriorly that spine huh i get it (laughs) i know i'm such a nerd you're such a nerd actually no well that that, those secondary curves that start to develop that c-spine by eight months yeah yeah the c-spine starts to develop probably about three months yeah tummy time does that tummy time and then the l-spine you know that's that's kicking in now from sitting up and shit yeah is he crawling he is. He learned to crawl last week, and now he's headed straight for all of the electrical. Oh yeah, of course. Exciting. That's the most exciting part. Well, I guess we should actually introduce our guest. So her name is Rachel, as I mentioned, and she's a licensed massage therapist in New York City, one of the eight point something million people there, and um, she's also a business coach. And so originally, when she reached out to us, it was if you guys ever want to talk anything business, and our response was we love talking business. We've had multiple business coaches, but as I say constantly, like a broken record, you can learn something from everyone and not everyone's going to jive with you. And I think it's always great to have these discussions and, you know, just share the knowledge with all the other uh, LMTs, RMTs, body workers, manual therapists. Especially now when everyone's taking a fucking hit. Totally. And if you you haven't taken a hit yet, well, you know, you're still in the shit storm where it's a possibility and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of massage therapists realize, holy crap, I don't have my business shit together because... This is such a good segue for uh, what we're going to, part of what we're going to talk with Rachel about. She is recently a published author. And during this pandemic, somehow she not only managed to survive, but actually thrive. Her small business has um, actually been booming through all of this. So we need to share some secrets and, um, you know, maybe inspire some people who are thinking, what the fuck am I going to do? So, Rachel, before we even jump into any of this business stuff, for people listening, could you give us an introduction on yourself? How long have you been a massage therapist? Maybe what you were doing beforehand and, you know, how your career has evolved to where it is now being a business owner and business coach. Absolutely. So, you know, I just want to be clear. I've definitely had my share of what the fuck am I going to (laughs) do? You have to. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and, and that makes me have a lot of strong feelings for Folks who are, you know, who are not as fortunate because if my, you know, multi-million dollar business is doing poorly and I'm suffering, that means everybody. Absolutely. Suffering. I myself, uh, I started out before massage school. I was a nanny, a dog walker, a cocktail waitress. Uh, I worked as a studio assistant in a photography studio. Um, I had a lot of odd What was jobs. the oddest job? Because you rhymed off a couple of things there. Which one's the oddest one out of, out of all the odd ones? I would say actually uh, being a dog walker is a That's funny exactly one. what I was going to choose. Why why was that the weirdest one? <laughs> You're inside many people's apartments during the day when they're not home 
Uh, and in New York, it involves often like climbing four flights right. of stairs, which is not that big of a deal. But when you realize, okay, you're going up four flights to get the dog, then you're going down four flights, then you're walking with the dog however many miles, then you're coming back up the four flights and then back down the four flights. And that's just one job of like many jobs in yeah. a day. So I, I picked that job up over a summer and I got really muscular. Really <laughs> I was going to say, summer. you must have been in great shape. By the end of it, she's taking the stairs like by fucking threes, you know, doing plyos all the way up, all the totally. way down. And I love dogs. I prefer dogs to people probably. Like I'm that person that pets every dog in the street. So for me, it was a dream come true. I love that job. Um, you know, and, and I also, I love being a nanny. I love being around kids. Uh, and bartending, cocktail waitressing, uh, was okay. I didn't love the hours, but honestly, I'm pretty sure that all of it, especially dealing with crazy people prepared me really well to be a really good service provider <laughs> in massage therapy, because there's nothing like an irate customer who's drunk to make you realize, you know, this isn't exactly, bad. I can deal with anybody. Yeah, exactly. That's one industry that I'm, I'm fascinated with, but I was like, I would never want to be in it at all. I don't want to serve. I don't want to bartend. I don't want to own. I want no part of drunk people. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. For a while too, I was pulling these crazy, like I was young. I was, I was 22, but I was going to school in the morning from eight to noon, working a retail job from one to eight and then bartending from eight wow. to four. It's like a rough When day. did you study? When did you sleep? Like how, how did you Typical even get student. through school? You just, you, My you, God. you put your head down, you just fucking do it because you have to and, you, and, you're, and you're tired every fucking day of your life as a student. And as soon as you finish, you're like, you hope, <laughs> you hope it changes. And then you realize, fuck, I got to hustle when I finish and it continues a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, I had note cards. I had note cards in my back pocket uh, all the time. And I remember, I remember calling my mom sobbing and being like, okay, there's this word and I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's ankylosing spondylitis. I'll never forget. This, you know, this. <laughs> but I remember seeing it for the first time and being like, I don't even know how to pronounce this or spell it. How the hell am I supposed to remember what this word is? And just crying. And, you know, in between running and grabbing beer from the, the downstairs, I like just looking at my note cards, just constantly going on the subway, looking at my note cards. And for me, this is, this is 2006. This was a long time before, I guess it must have been 2005. It was a long time before we had all the the apps and things like that. So uh, I wrote all my notes down by hand and, um, and I actually think that helped me remember things better. It does. Um, Yeah. But certainly I walked out of my state board exam and I, I again burst into tears because I was like, so confident and I was like I will never wait tables again mm. and it was just such a good feeling such like an empowering feeling I remember thinking I just want to do something that I'm objectively good at and get paid right. for it and not have to worry or wonder or question or you know and and I really wanted my hour to feel valuable I felt like my entire life I was working these like $10 an hour jobs and I just wanted my hour in my day to feel valuable and I love helping people. So this is, you know, I love working with my hands. I hate a nine to five. I'm not a desk person. I'm not a suit person. So this is like a dream come true for me. So what was your exposure to massage therapy before you decided I'm, I'm, I'm going to pursue this? Well, interestingly enough, I grew up with um, pretty bad scoliosis. It's an S curve and uh, a lot of back pain, a lot of chronic pain. And um, my mom was a ballerina. So she had just like a, a lot of body awareness. And she used to rub my back when I was a kid all the time. And uh, thankfully, took me to a physical therapist. And um, they they were like, look, if you don't start doing physical therapy, you'll need to wear a brace. And as a kid, I was like, there's nothing worse than that. So like the, the embarrassment for me of having to wear a brace pushed me into 
learning more about physical therapy and, um, and just physicality in general. And I also did some dance in high school and I loved studying movement and movement patterns. So it kind of made sense Did the physical therapy help you? Like, did you feel a major change in your body when you started, um, when you started actually getting therapy for your scoliosis or like how, or how did it help you? You know, was it the body awareness? Was it pain relief? Was it, was it all of it? I mean, I, if I'm honest, I remember hating it. <laughs> I remember feeling like this is really painful. I don't like doing it. It's annoying. I have homework. Um, it's, it, it, for me, it was actually very stressful. Um, and I, I think, uh, probably that's why I didn't do as much of my homework as I should have. Um, and I've been able actually as an adult to get a lot more correction of my curve by doing personal training coupled with physical therapy, coupled with chiropractic and massage and acupuncture. So I've like thrown the whole, you know, thrown the whole book at it. And, um, you know, I probably would have had a better experience had I done my homework more regularly as a kid, but I just didn't have that kind of And discipline. now you're telling all of your clients, do your homework, do your homework. And then when they come back and you <laughs> say, did you do the exercises I gave you? And each one will go, well, and you know, that's a big fat no. <laughs> well. Yeah. It's like a dentist telling people to floss who don't floss. You know, it's, it's the curse of, of knowing, unfortunately. It's so funny. Um, when it, <laughs> every time I go to the dentist, I feel like I have to justify like, oh, you know, I, yeah, you know, I take care of my teeth. I floss, I this or whatever. No, man, that's why I'm coming to you. I'm not going to brush my teeth before I show up. <laughs> but I, I, feel, I feel do- <laughs> like I have to like, you know, make them aware that, yeah, like I'm doing all of these things. And um, I remember seeing this one hygienist and I've talked about her on an episode before because I just disliked every part of my experience with her. But she first lectured me for 45 minutes about... It's a long um, lecture. Yes, it was a long lecture. The entire appointment with her, she was lecturing me because it had been way too long since my last cleaning. Like I wasn't going every six months. It had probably been three years since I had gone for a cleaning. And I know, yes, that's a really long time. But I had told her right up front, I said, combination of, you know, I had kids in that time and this and this, you know, there was a reason that I didn't go. And I'm like, I'm here now. So anyway, she... I don't even understand the point of her even giving you a fucking lecture. I have lecture. no idea, but she lectured me like, for 45 minutes. To me. And then she asked me, do you floss daily? And I was honest and I was like, daily, no. Like, I know you absolutely shouldn't. If anyone's listening and is like super disgusted with me right now, no, definitely. There's some days where I'm in a rush and I just brush and go. And so I was like, but you know, I floss, not daily. And she was like, she's like, yeah, I can tell. I was like, well, that was mean. Yeah, right. (laughs) And then, right. And then she finishes. And at the very beginning, she had told me. weird, man. Oh, it gets better. At the very beginning, she had told me that, you know, this appointment costs, I think it was $160. But then if your teeth are in really bad shape, it goes up from there. So like the baseline is $160 for the cleaning. And then it goes up depending on if they need to do more. So after the 45 minute lecture, after telling me she can tell that I don't floss every day, um, when we finish, I was like, so how bad was it? She's like, actually, your mouth was in pretty good shape. So, so I only had to pay the 160. Hole. So I'm like, you just lectured me, For made nothing. me feel like shit. And actually, my teeth are in pretty good shape. Thanks, jerk. <laughs> but in what yeah, universe is this a nothing. good idea? It's like, imagine you had the heaviest fucking person that came to see the personal trainer and the personal trainer is going to decide, I'm going to lecture you for 45 right. minutes on why it's bad to be as heavy as you are. Like, yeah. in, in, in no universe does that make sense. No, it definitely, yeah. it's, I think her age was showing. And again, no offense to anyone who's very young. She's a very, very young hygienist, probably fresh out of school. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, it it really was showing to me, like, you have no idea what life can do to you sometimes. And, you know, have a little compassion and grace with people. Like, yeah, I shouldn't wait three years to get my teeth cleaned, but also I'm still doing my maintenance. I'm brushing, I'm flossing. You just told me my teeth aren't in very bad shape. So anyway, yeah. a little bit of a tangent I there. Remember- <laughs> I gave an interview to a a therapist who was right out of school who was so sweet and so smart. But, you know, when I was going through my health intake form with her before she was going to, you know, do the massage, the hands-on portion of the interview, um, she said, oh, my gosh, you have scoliosis? I'm so sorry. I've never met anyone with scoliosis before. And I was like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) So sorry. I was like, yeah. So here's the thing. (laughs) The way that we talk to our clients, you know, we want to make sure that we're not making them feel bad. And we definitely want to we want them to know that we're the authority. I'm laughing because that's the equivalent to as you undrape someone's back, the therapist goes, holy shit, what the fuck is that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh gosh, needless to say, she did not get hired. Yeah, I bet not. So okay, we we sort of got sidetracked with the whole hygienist thing. Clearly, I'm traumatized. But you um, was getting therapy. Yeah, you were doing your homework. you were getting therapy. You're not doing your homework, but it, it did at least inspire you enough to get into massage therapy. And what was your experience in school like? Was this something you were you were prepared for the intensity? And I mean, I know you were working seven jobs while being in school, but how, how was it for you? You know, for me, I'm, I'm that A plus kid who wants extra credit and I'm very competitive. So actually I love the hell out of school, um, sometimes. And then it was also very stressful sometimes because, um, you know, in the U S New York has the most rigorous, uh, hours required Canada. You guys are nuts. You have like two times the hours <laughs> that we have. Um, but in New York, it's, it's the most rigorous program. And so I wasn't necessarily prepared for, you know, I, I assumed we would need to know certain things, which is why I bought like the uh, trail guide to the body. And I, I bought the, the, what was that called? That coloring book. That's like every muscle and bone nerve, um, which actually really helped, <laughs> really helped me um, understand the attachment sites of things. But I, I will say, I just didn't, I didn't realize just how intense it would be. I thought it would be more of a physical education and right. less of a technical I'm going to learn one. some techniques. I'm going to learn some routines and, and then I'm good to go. It's kind mm-hmm. of the, the thinking yeah. behind that. Yeah. Could not have been more wrong. I mean, just this theory, the like theory and theory and theory, and they're very big into Eastern as well, which, which I was not like the most, I was not the big, I'm not going to lie. I love receiving Eastern work, but I don't love giving Eastern work. And right. um, this theory of it, I, I got very tired with very quickly because I was like, I just want to do clinical massage. I want to work for a surgeon. Like, I want to do really cool work that's mm-hmm. technical and hands-on. I don't want to be thinking about, you know, which which point I'm on at the moment. Although points are wonderful. And I use them all the time. So, um, yeah, that, that's that been such a trip. So, school was definitely uh, a challenge for me, but I, but I aced it. I was that guy. I was competitive. I was actually in school with my roommate at the time. Uh, he and I competed for grades constantly for years, um, and we pushed the curve of our class, and it nice. was a blast. So yeah. in massage school, no low marks for you, eh? Nothing. I, you know, I was. What, what was your guy. lowest mark? I, I, what was your lowest mark? Oh, for for sure, it was an A minus. Nice. And I probably cried. <laughs> I like this. I you like know, what I'm hearing. It, it was it was a good experience for me. So, um, and I just I I was so determined that this was the job for me, and I just I felt so strongly about it. And, uh, you know, when I graduated, I just immediately had my five year plan. I was gonna you know, in year one, just work anywhere who would hire me. And then in year three, maybe have a private practice if I was really busy. And then in year five, maybe I'd own a business. 
Um, and then I just did it in nice. six months. You, d- you did the five-year plan in six months. Yeah, I didn't mean it for for it to happen that way. As it turns out, I just really hate working for others. Exactly. People. So, oh, thank you for saying that. I say that shit all the time. If you know, if you know that you want to have your own place, why are you fucking waiting? I don't understand. I don't understand it. Like, why are you waiting? Unless, yeah. unless, unless money is the biggest problem. You're like, I've got none. Like, there's no possible way I can I can score any financing. There's no way I can pony up anything from myself. Like, I got nothing. So I gotta fucking eat shit and go to work for somebody else and save my pennies to make this happen then i get it but if everything else is is available to you whether it's you know someone's going to invest in you you can borrow the money someone's going to give you financing whatever the case is like i don't get it man i really don't because are you learning so much going to work for somebody else in their busy clinic where they just throw you as a massage therapist and all you do is treat patient after patient client after client you don't learn the business there you just you're just someone else's you're fucking, just treating you're, you're yeah. a money maker for somebody else so at the end of it you've yeah. got some dough in your pocket but you're, you're just five years later than you would have been if you started five years ago yeah i always wonder why can't you do it in six months and for me like i can't say that passion or excitement really drove me it was just that i really hated feeling exploited and like a bystander in my career and i did feel like often the spa i was working at you know i, I loved i loved how like fancy and nice it was but i hated the pace it was like 50 minute sessions back to back to back 10 minutes off which is not enough time, right. you know, and I, I hated the pace of it. And you had to sell products to make any money, which I was not really a fan of. Um, and then I was working for a chiropractor, which I love. I love the technical work. But again, a grueling schedule. I was exhausted exactly. and I didn't like the cold paper sheets. It felt very, it was a little too So can I, can I ask me. you a question though? When you're working with the chiropractor and you're working like a crazy person, do you actually get to learn much from the chiropractor? Because like in my imagination, really. if you're, exactly, that, that's my imagination. That if, you, if, if you're going out and I'm like, I'm going to mentor with this person, but that's fine if you're actually spending time with them, like, like quality, not just I'm going to work for you and hope I'm going to learn something along the way. Because if you end up being busy, you ain't learning shit. You're just learning how to hone your practical skills. But that's something right. that you can do anyway that's something you can do when you're working on your own yeah i did have one job that i I learned quite a bit from which was um for a surgeon who was doing post-mastectomy reconstruction nice so you know women who'd had breast cancer and you know i didn't know anything about implants and capsular contraction and these things that happen you know where the implant can become hard and immobile and so you have to teach the client how to do self-massage on their scar tissue um, you know, and how to do self-massage on their implant. And exactly. that was a really, really cool experience. And I really, like, that was something that I, yeah. I really Yeah, and that's working. That's a specialty practice. Do you know what I mean? So that's yeah. gold. When you have those moments, that is fabulous. But I love it that yeah, you did that in sure. six months. Tell tell us how you did that in six months. Yeah, and, I want you to walk me through how five years became six months. <laughs> well, sure. I hated so, where you know, I worked. When, <laughs> well, yeah, I hated where I worked. That didn't help. Um, and, and also, I was very, very broke from school. I had some debt from school. Um, and for me, I realized very quickly, I just, like, I desperately wanted a private practice. Um, so at first I started pe- seeing people out of my apartment, but again, fifth floor walk up with two roommates and, you know, it smelled like dinner. <laughs> it's not really a professional <laughs> place to be seeing people. Um, so for a minute, I tried taking my table to other people's and doing the mobile thing. But at the time I was maybe a hundred pounds. I'm a little, I'm a little person. And a table is a third of that. So for me, that like on the subway, it just wasn't really going to work out. Um, and so I really just wanted a space, but I just had no money for rent. Um, so I started walking around the neighborhood uh, that I knew I wanted to practice in. 
And I found this physical therapy clinic and I walked in very precocious. I was 24 at the time. And I just said, you know, do you have massage here? And they said, no. And I said, well, your patients are more likely to come back for physical therapy regularly if they're getting free massages. Um, can I treat at your clinic for two days a week for free mm. in exchange? Let me use the space when you're not nice. using it. Oh. And the woman kind of like looked at me like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and then she was like, all right, we'll try it for, you know, it was May at the time. And I maybe had 10 clients if I was stretching it who were like friends of mine. Um, and by August, I had 110 clients. So what happened that summer was I was doing all these free 10 and 15 minute massages, you know, two days a week, just for four hours in the morning. Um, and a lot of those patients were like, hey, can I see you for like a whole hour? This is great. And so, you know, they started becoming clients. And then, um, you know, they were referring friends to friends. But I also realized at the time, because I was still working a couple days a week at the spa and like an extra day a week at a yoga studio. I was like all over the place. <laughs> so, you know, I was, I was working a lot. Um, and I realized like I really, it's it's hard to get to one client at a time. I need to find people who see a volume of their own private clients. So I really just hustled. I like made these, you know, little $20 off your first appointment note cards. And I walked myself over to um, hair salons, um, to like local shops, to the chiropractors, uh, acupuncturists, and actually personal trainers who are some of my favorite because those clients are sore. They're wealthy enough to afford massage. It's exactly. about their health. They are. That is that is the best client. Yeah, ever. absolutely. Yeah. And I because if you can if you can all. afford to pay for a personal trainer, then well, you see the value. You, can you see, afford to you pay see for the value in this in, in, in all of this stuff that you're doing with the personal trainer. Absolutely. Therefore, you're going to see the value of the massage therapy, and then you've got and you can afford it. It's, yeah, it's and perfect. when you yeah. when you've got a trainer that you're working with, you're also very likely to take their advice and listen to them. I've got a ton mm -hmm. of clients that I see regularly now that were all referrals from a friend of mine who's a personal trainer because she will say, Hey, your hips are tight. Go see this RMT. And like, that's, that's all it yeah, takes. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, okay. And that then was, they come. That was yeah, the first place I opened store. a clinic was inside of a, inside of a gym and it was gold. I didn't have to do anything. Perfect. I literally just had to open my door yeah. and say massage therapy. And then boom, it was, it was exactly, that easy. Exactly. And those kind of referrals are, are golden. And I always think like one thing I talk about a lot with my consultant clients is diversifying your, your resources and your, your sales channel. And it's very important. Like referrals can be the very best but you want to have more than one because if one chiropractor refers you everyone and goes out of business or moves, you're in big trouble. So, you know, that was like the, my beginning experience with this was trading massage for haircuts, massage for highlights, massage for training. I did a lot of trades that year because I, I really wanted them to experience my work so that they'd refer me all their people. And so, you know, by August, I had like 110 clients. Um, I was answering the phone, doing my laundry, cleaning, uh, you know, seeing my clients going to work still at this other place. And finally, I realized, you know, I'm working like seven days a week. This is insane. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a full day of clients. Sometimes I'd only have like one or two. Um, but I was taking every single call because at that point I was just like, I can't afford not right. to. And finally, I found a, a therapist down the street, actually two blocks away, uh, who had a space for rent. Um, because the the uh, PT office, the physical therapy office, didn't want to rent to me. They only wanted my free. My oh, free wow. Trade. So, which is funny. I think, that I, is. I think in retrospect, they were probably like illegally billing for my hours or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, that place has since gone under. But um, <laughs> in the meantime, I um, I started renting a space, which was terrifying because I was like, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to afford this rent? You know? 
it was super scary, but I took the leap of it. And I very quickly realized the days that I'm in the spot, that treatment room is sitting empty. So if I hire one of my friends from school who I know and trust, um, she can be in there and treat my clients while I'm working at the spot. And then I can like double my income that way. So I actually hired my first employee while I was still employed for someone else, which is kind of funny in retrospect. But for me, I was so scared of taking the leap. And also I just saw the value of this is an expensive piece of real estate. New York City is crazy. I better have you know, people in there seven days a week. Mm-hmm. I can't yep. afford not mm-hmm. to. So, you know, that happened. And then um, in the building I'm in, we don't even have a storefront. It's so expensive. We're in a commercial suite that you buzz to get in the door. In that, in that building, uh, a space down the hall became available with three treatment rooms. And I realized it was only a little bit more than I was paying and that I was probably paying like 99% of the rent on a two-room space. So it was a no-brainer for $50 more. I was like, oh, yes, I can build three treatment rooms. Um, And so I moved down the hall. I built three rooms. I rented one full-time to an acupuncturist. And then I hired a couple more people. And then from there, I realized, you know, we're getting really booked. We're getting really busy. I raised our prices, which is so scary to me. And we got even busier, which is so funny because I think when you're more expensive, people must think you're valuable. Especially in a place like New York. Like <laughs> that's probably a bit of a stereotype, but yeah. when you're living in, you know, a city like that, it's, it's the mentality of like, well, you get what you pay for. So if, exactly. uh, if Rachel exactly. is charging this much and that girl down the street is charging this much, well, Rachel must be better. Not even that too. <laughs> like, like people are really scared to put up their prices some of the time, but at the end of the day, the, the marketplace will tell you if you've overcharged. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So exactly. And you can always run a discount, but you know, it's, it's much harder. You have to charge. If you're going to raise your prices, raise the prices that you want this time next year, because like, you know, you don't want to be raising constantly. And at the same time, you can't get so far behind if your rent goes up every, you know, every year, uh, your cost of living goes up. And for me, I realized I'm, I'm very frugal and I'm very scared to spend money because, you know, like I, it's my own money. So, um, I realized very quickly instead of expanding, I was going to expand our hours because we were only open. I think at the time it was like 10 to six or something like that. And so I, I expanded our hours till eight then to 10. And then I actually split our day in half. So we had one therapist in the morning from 10 to four, different therapists in the afternoon from four to 10. So the last session is at nine o'clock and ends at 10. We don't, we don't do a 30 minute. We only do a 60 or 90. That was very important to me. And I also leave 30 minutes in between my appointments because that's what I wanted when I was a therapist, uh, like working for other people. And I, I hated the amount of time that we had. I like, I like the slower pace of being able to wash my hands, change my linen you know, have a sandwich if I want to take a minute, um, you know, talk to my client, give them homework. So for me, it was very important to have that 30 minute break. But, you know, one of those treatment rooms, you can have eight sessions between four, you know, one therapist with four in the morning and one therapist with four in the afternoon. So um, all of a sudden it just opened up a world of possibilities. All of this happened in six months. For anybody listening who forgot that little piece, (laughs) all of this growth happened in six months. And if it's absolutely possible, like we've talked to so many entrepreneurs who, you know what, they know what they want and you just take every opportunity in front of you. Like, I love the fact that you were like, okay, this isn't working in my apartment. Everybody smells like dinner and they have to walk up 
five flights of stairs and, you know, lugging around a table that is half your body weight on the subway in New a York. Third. Also, I know I was, <laughs> just, I knew I'm it was a beats. third. <laughs> That's obviously not gonna, not gonna fly. So I like the creativity there. You know, it's like, okay, I can offer you guys some free treatments, but really in your head, you're seeing the opportunity of how many people I can get my hands on. Sure. I give them a 10, 15 minute free massage, but once you got to a point where you were getting busy and you were bringing on employees, then I like how the shift happened where you realize I don't need to discount shit. I don't need to give people things for free anymore. Now I need to work on growing, expanding, bringing more people in, maximizing the space. Like this is, this is the progression that has to happen. I, you know, we have a lot of people that come through the business course and when they're talking about trying to get new clients, it's always like, oh, we can discount things. Oh, give stuff away. Oh, I'm not saying never do that, but I feel like, you know, you can kind of get away from that once you start expanding and growing or and you can getting do, more people You can in. do that, but do it smart. If I, if I up all my prices and I discount everybody, then I'm fucking, they think they're getting a deal and I'm getting what I wanted anyway. Right, exactly. Exactly. It could be that simple. <laughs> you know, like, it, be intentional about it. Like, be, you know, try something. For me also, I'll say, I'm a big recovering perfectionist like real bad. <laughs> so I will Recovering. say I was terrified of trying things because I was like, well, if it's not perfect and it's not going to lead perfect, if it's not going to, you know, have perfect results, then I'm not going to do it, you know, which is why it took me 10 years before I spent a dollar on advertising because I was cheap. And I was like, if this ad doesn't yield all of the clients and make my money back, then I'm not going to do it. Like I, I really had to like, I didn't ever do advertising. It's so funny for the first decade of my business. Mm. Um, and I was very adamant about like things have to be a certain way. And I'll say the way that I've sort of gotten my brain around that now, the way I've sort of hacked myself is to tell my brain, okay, here's the thing. We're going to try this as an experiment. And then we're going to run the experiment for a set amount of time, whether it's a week or a month or three months. And then we're going to check in at the end of the experiment. And if we like it, we'll keep doing it. If we don't like it, we'll do something else. We'll do a different. And that's absolutely how you should be doing advertising. And, you know, another thing that we try to drill into people's minds, if you're not, you know, checking in and you're not looking at analytics and seeing, you know, is this working? What isn't working? Then, you know, you're. It, it, you might as well not do any advertising at that point. If you don't know what's yeah. bringing your clients in, then what's the point? So I'm yeah. glad that your brain is able to see that now that now <laughs> you can, that. you can do experiments and not everything is going to work, but you got to try it. And then if it's not working, okay, what can I do differently? Yeah, And then recognizing like when you're, when something needs to just breathe a little bit and live there and maybe it needs that time to grow. And then the other side of it is knowing when to pull the fucking plug. Yeah. Right. So many people sit on something for so fucking long waiting for it to grow. And I'm like, dude, that fucking plant ain't growing nowhere. That that (laughs) motherfucker died weeks ago. Like just, just pull it up now. Yeah. I think also it was a good thing that I didn't have an ad budget in the beginning because it forced me to look for alternative methods of getting clients in the door. Um, And so like the big thing that I learned uh, very quickly was search engine optimization. So again, this was like 2008 before the internet was as amazing as it is now. Um, And we didn't have things like Google business or even Yelp or even, or maybe there was Yelp, I don't remember. But like there was very little, you know, information, but I started studying search engine optimization because I knew, you know, I'm in a, I'm not even a storefront. I have like a clapboard outside. There's, there's no signage. So the internet is my storefront and I better make a damn good impression and Mm -hmm. I better have, 
you know, I better be the result coming up when people are searching for massage in my neighborhood. So I made it a really strong point since I had no ad dollars um, to just like devote all of, you know, my spare time to trying to figure out SEO. And thank God I did that because I feel like that was the foundation of why my business took off as quickly as it did. Because, you know, for some of these other folks in the neighborhood who are not very nice, by the way, I'm not nice. Um, I'm very unhappy to see me. Um, but, you know, their businesses have not lasted um, because they didn't, you know, stay abreast with technology. They didn't keep up with the times. And yep. so, you know, they, they were like, didn't see the need for a website or they didn't, see, they're yep. like, oh, what's the point? And it's like, well, the point is people can't even find your business because the entire first page of search results is mine. Yeah. That's and I mean, <laughs> I don't remember, exactly. I don't I remember it. if it was this it. aggressive in 2008, but I know now in 2020, like if I'm looking for a massage therapist and I'm going on Google and I'm, you know, looking for a massage therapist in my neighborhood, if a bunch of results come up and there's certain ones that don't have a website, like these days, I know me, I'm skipping over it. So like all these yeah. people who didn't see the value in a website then. The weird mm. part is, this is the weird part to me because we, like you said, we, we run we run a business course, right? And I also run a digital marketing course specifically for, you know, healthcare professionals and shit like that. And the part that kills me the most when people think they don't need a website. Yes, yes, yes. And then they come back to you and they're like, well, I'm I'm busy. My practice is full. And it's always been like this through word of mouth. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, aren't you sick of trading your time for dollars? Like, yep. don't you want something a little bit bigger than what you're doing now? Because if you're telling me like you're full and you can't see anybody else, you've maximized your time. Like, that's it for you then? And I get confused by that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'll I'll be the first to say, I feel very, very strongly about you know, folks having a private practice because I feel like you do get so much empowerment from seeing your own clients. But I'm also a big, big, big proponent of uh, folks hiring others. And I know that this is very controversial because a lot of people like to go to work, get paid, go home. And those are the people you hire. Exactly. Yes, exactly. those are the people. What happens if you get sick or a family right. member gets sick or you want to take vacation? If your dollar is tied to your hour, that's a very dangerous situation. Let's, let's go even one step further. How the fuck are you going to retire? Like the minute you stop working is the minute you stop making money. Then what the fuck are you going to do here? Yeah. yeah. You know or what, what I mean? if you break your hand or break your arm? Like, like it's just, I, I knew I was like, it, you know, ironically, I'm a very anxious person, like super anxious, <laughs> like pretty bad going to therapy, love therapy. But I realized in retrospect, anxiety in a weird way is my superpower because I'm constantly like, okay, well, what if this terrible thing happens? And so, you know, it's caused me in a lot of ways to diversify my revenue, diversify my strategic approaches, because I'm always like, you know, to the point where, um, you know, I had this one location of my business with three treatment rooms and another suite became available. So I took it, built three more. Another one became available. So I built three more. So we have nine treatment rooms in one building, which is awesome. But I started to like have this panic attack. Like, what if that building burns down or they sell it or something happens? Mm -hmm. I better open a second location just in case. I, I better build myself a little life raft just in case something happens because this is my sole source of income. Right. And uh, and so I did. I opened a second location in a neighborhood north of ours, um, this time with eight treatment rooms instead of nine. But it's all in one suite as opposed to three suites. And all of a sudden, um, you know, not that long after, the major, major subway that is like the sole way that everyone gets to my business, they announced after uh, after a couple of hurricanes that it was shot and needed to close for two years. And I lost it because I was like, well, thank God I built this little life raft over here because like, uh. 
you know, this could go really south fast. And luckily, they ended up figuring out the subway, ironically. But in the meantime, I was able to grow that second location, um, which taught me a whole different skill set, which is how do you manage two locations? And then from there, about four years after that, I opened the third. And this year, I opened the fourth. I love what you're saying because I'm all about this this thing and this entrepreneurship and, and I love it. I love it. I love it. And like I've already suggested before, it blows my mind how people don't think like us. But I also recognize that people don't think like us. But it still blows my fucking mind that you don't think like us. So when I'm reading in like one of the Canadian massage therapy groups, someone is saying like, I'm so happy that I'm not a clinic owner. And someone else is like, yeah, I'm so happy I sold my clinic. It was the best decision. Decision I ever made. I'm now just working my set times and hours, blah, blah, blah. There were so many people that chimed in that were like, they were so happy they got rid of their clinics. And I'm like, what the fuck? I don't understand. You know what? So good on them. Like, are they for sale? I'll buy them. <laughs> because frankly, <laughs> exactly. you know, we can go into this opportunity and see all around us, you know, that good things can come of that. For me, you know, maybe it will be a growth opportunity. Maybe there's a, a chance you know, on the other side, I did unfortunately have to close two of mine permanently because uh, the landlords were threatening to sue us for rent. And after five months in New York City of mandatory closure, I couldn't carry our rent yeah, twenty six thousand yeah. dollars a month. I couldn't carry it. Yeah, I didn't have that kind of savings. And so, you know, two of my two of my locations did have to close, but I was able to keep the first two. And I'm really excited about all of the real estate I'm seeing coming available. You know, very short sighted on my landlord's part because, like. Frankly, I'm going to find better locations and I'm going to start, you know, expanding in different ways when this is largely over. Um, but in the meantime, thank God for my clinic because we reopened in August, you know, and, and that was a lot of careful consideration. And I spoke to each of my massage therapists one on one prior to opening to make sure, you know, how are you? Where are you? How are you feeling about all of this? Are you still in New York City? Because a lot of my folks let, left the state, frankly. Um, and you know, what I found was a really, really committed, wonderful, loyal group of people who was like, I will follow you anywhere. Tell me where we are. Tell me what to do. I'll make it happen. And so for me, the challenge became, how do I make this the safest possible environment so that I feel good about the work that we're doing? Because my therapist safety is the most important thing for me. So that looked like going on Wirecutter, which is my favorite like tech website for, for random objects and finding like, what is the best air filter for an in-room air purifier and how do we hack our HVAC so that we can put UV lighting in there and the HEPA MERV rated filter and how do we get you know we're already using hospital grade germicide so like good on us um, you know and a lot of these practices we were already very clean anyway so it was like not that big of a change um, but you know making sure that everyone's decked out in the PPE that makes them feel the safest and um, you know, making sure that we're doing all the necessary COVID protocol, which we don't need to go into great detail because we all know temperature checks and, and things like that. But, you know, it just, it, I am so, I'm so thrilled that the people I'm working with are happy to be at work, are excited to be at work, are relieved to be at work. Because for me, you know, I, I laid off 48 employees, gave birth three days later, <laughs> you know, closed two of the businesses I had just built, two of the locations I just built permanently, you know, and, and it had been such a, it had been a lot of like, Oh God, like what, like, what the fuck, like, what are we going to do here? Um, you know, and, and that's where in that space of feeling really like out of control and scared, that's where I started writing. Um, because I feel like every time my baby went down for a nap, I felt like this is something I can control. Something good has to come out of this. 
And so I'm just going to write. I'm going to write for me. I'm going to journal. I'm going to write about my experience. And um, and 50,000 words later, it became a book. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the book that I that I just released. It's called Massage and Before we get into the book, I want to talk about the book. But at what point in your career is like, obviously, we can tell by your story that you've had massive success as a clinic owner. At what point in your career did you realize that you wanted to help other therapists and you wanted to become a coach? And, you know, how did that fit in? Like, how do you how do you even have the time to coach people and run all of these clinics? And, you know, and you have an eight month old and you're a right. Like, tell me, how does this happen? Well, you know, that that wasn't really my intention. That sort of fell in my lap because what happened was I did get very successful very early out of school. And a lot of my classmates were like, okay, Rachel, how are you doing this? Tell me every, what is search engine optimization? Like how, how do I make a website? And how do you know how much is too much to pay for rent? And I was just going to coffee and talking to people and, you know, talking to my classmates. And then one of them moved upstate New York and sent me a bunch of email questions, which I sent back which she sent back, which became like 20 pages of questions that apparently got passed around to a bunch of random people. And then I was having like random people just calling me. And I realized, you know, I have to value my time and put some boundaries around this. I can't just keep going to coffee. I'm very caffeinated. Um, I I would actually (laughs) rather trade money for time here. Um, And so I like put up a very basic Squarespace site uh, just to kind of see using my SEO as I do. I called it Wellness Business Consulting. And, um, suddenly I was getting, I was always getting referrals and it was primarily massage at first, but then I got one acupuncturist in California who like told her acupuncture group, which led to a whole bunch of acupuncturists nice. uh, and some physical therapists and some chiropractors and a dentist. Uh, and most recently now I've got a lot of, um, a lot of therapists there, like psychotherapists because they're, they're doing really well right now with COVID. Um, yep. everyone's yep. very stressed. So you know, and, and it's funny because I, I love working with small business owners. And weirdly, I realize, you know how people play like fantasy football? I think I play like fantasy start a business because I just think it's the most fun thing. I love hacking things. I love figuring things out. And, you know, there's something really deeply psychological about starting a business. Like the two, the two questions I'm always asking my consulting clients, like on our very first call, I tell them, here's your homework. It's a self-accountability check-in. Whether or not we work together, I want you to answer these two questions for yourself. The first is, what am I tolerating? What am I putting up with? What am I tolerating from my clients? What am I tolerating from my career, from myself, from my team, from my business? You know, what am I tolerating? And the second is, what am I avoiding? What am I dreading? What am I afraid of? What am I putting off? You know, what I realize is people who are business owners are really, really good at doing the things that we do. And then we kind of like don't really do the things that we don't like doing or are scared of doing or don't know how to do. And so, you know, for me, there's no judgment there. It's not saying you're lazy. It's just saying you need a little bit more support in those areas. And that's the thing I like to work with with clients for consulting is it's not necessarily like the glamorous exciting, sexy stuff like marketing, unless, you know, unless marketing is the thing they're avoiding. Um, You know, sometimes it's cleaning up the back of your house and making sure that the things that you're tolerating, you stop, you put boundaries down and the things that you're avoiding, um, you know, there's accountability and, and support. So that's, it's kind of a backwards approach and it's not the most glamorous, but I do find that it's very effective in quickly building up a, a business that, 
you know, has the legs to survive because, you you know, you don't want to throw a bunch of clients at a website that's not going to convert them. You don't want to spend a bunch of money on an ad if they're not charging enough in the first place. So I try to I try to kind of come from that foundational success, you know, that foundational wellness. I hope everyone's taking notes right now. This is, this is free business consulting right now. I hope everyone is taking notes. <laughs> so you just like started getting people contacting you and you you literally like built a business without even deciding to build a business. <laughs> well, I realized I just loved it. I, I really liked, you know, because I feel like when you're, it can be very isolating owning a business also. And I feel like the camaraderie from the support that I've gotten by just talking to other business owners is really, really nice. And I myself over the years have hired some coaches. At one point, I was working with three different people. <laughs> one was like very um, strategy oriented. One was really numbers oriented. And one was very like 30,000 foot view, like big picture life stuff. And I always just, I love working with a coach because I feel like it just pushes me to the next level and it gives me ideas of things that I never would have thought of by myself. And frankly, like my poor boyfriends were like very sick of hearing about my business, you know? And so, <laughs> you know, thankfully my husband does business development and he's a, he's a lawyer. He's a general counsel for a tech company. So he loves this stuff, which is how I knew we would be, we would probably end up together. Um, on our first date, he literally, I said, first date, gosh, on our, on our one year anniversary was my thing. On our one year anniversary, he gave me, um, he gave me financial projections of the locations I was considering based off of my QuickBooks data. And that's how I knew. That's romantic. <laughs> Super romantic. I love it. You get me. <laughs> I hate making financial projections. That's my thing. So, you, you know, I don't, I'm not good at math. <laughs> like I'm actually quite bad at math. Um, so thank goodness for like QuickBooks. I freaking love bookkeeping software. It's a miracle. Um, but yeah, I, I was just fine. There's so much to unpack with, you know, where people have their own limiting beliefs. And I myself have had plenty, which is which is why I think I've benefited from coaching myself. I think this is a theme as well. Every coach we talk to, didn't we discover this? Every coach we talk to <laughs> also had a coach. Like, yeah. and somebody even said, like, there's a whole bunch of massage coaches that actually just coach coaches now. Like, this yeah. is a thing. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a whole bunch well, of business you know, coaches like, that coach other coaches. Those, those, you know, Olympic athletes aren't going from their car to the field. You know, like something's happening in between. You know, I mean, like the most successful people in the world have coaches and there's a reason for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I find it really helpful. I feel like a massage therapist that has the proper skill set actually makes a really good coach. Like a massage therapist just generally has a, has a great mentality right all the way around and the personality for it for the most part. And as long as you have the skill set. Yeah. The biggest thing that I've found, which I try to turn around exactly what you're talking about, I feel like massage therapists tend to be very nurturing. Mm-hmm. and warm. And so they're nurturing their friends, their family, their clients, but they forget to nurture their business yes. as its own living entity. And so that's the approach I'm trying to take is like this thing that could be seen as a weakness, let's turn it into an advantage. Let's turn that urge to nurture towards your business. And all of a sudden you just see the lights come on and you're, they're like, oh, right. Okay. It's easier for them to understand. Because if you can't make money to keep your doors open, you can't be nurturing to anybody. Like, yeah. You, you have to put the focus in on your business. Your business needs to be your baby. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, it's not all about money also. I, at the end of the day, if you have enough abundance, then you can go out and do the work that you want to do. So, like, for us, prior to COVID, we were doing a lot of volunteer work. We did chair massages 
for Sanctuary for Families, which helps victims of domestic violence and sex trafficking. Before that, we did events at Friends Indeed, which was treating folks who are going through terminal illness. You know, and so like the fact that my team has been able to come together and do volunteer work because we have this abundance in the first place, you know, if if we weren't making enough money to be able to go do those things, we would lose out on a lot of community opportunities. Yep. You know, I I feel like there's this possibility to use massage as social action, which is very, very exciting to me because oh, that's, for that's sure. just like the coolest thing. Yeah. yeah. Like we're doing a, we're doing a charity event and two day educational charity event. We have some really cool presenters on this thing and it's the exact same thing. Like I totally get it. Yeah. For me, entrepreneurship has like four tenants. Yeah. It's like freedom of time, like how you want to spend your time, freedom of money, how and where you want to spend it, freedom of relationships, so like the the kind of work relationships, who you're working with on a day-to-day basis, whether that's the client or your employees, you know, and then freedom to give back in the ways that you want to give back and be impactful in the world in the ways that you want to be impactful. I feel like those four reasons are, are why I think entrepreneurship is just the best. Okay. Like something happened the other day and it kind of bothered me a little bit. So I posted on Facebook because we have a continuing education company, Conant Institute. So I was posting on Facebook in different groups when like just posting the event of, of when, when these courses are happening. And then someone, someone's comment on it was, I can't remember this. The uh, comment said that the the cost of the course was quite high considering the cost to us is so low. I was like, what? And we were both just, <laughs> we both just stared at each other for a second. Like what the amount mean? of work for one thing that has gone into this, our courses are actually very, very fairly just, priced, it was, but it was, it was just, just like, strange it was a very strange comment. Like <laughs> if you, if you don't see the value in the course, totally that you know that's up to you it might not be something that you need that's going to benefit your practice but the comment of like this seems very uh very overpriced considering the cost to you is quite low because it's it's more of a virtual course but actually it's, that one's uh, a hybrid it, no, we're doing hybrid. it in person it's, and virtually that's what I was trying to, but the bottom like to me that the whole thing was just fucking weird i like like you said i think our stuff is reasonably priced but nonetheless like for all the other shit that we do we for give fucking so free, much away for and i was free. like the only way that like for example this massive charity thing that's going to be coming out very soon the only way that we can do all that shit and afford to just give up time to do all that shit is because this is this is part of what we do right and hence the courses cost us like you know what i mean it's just a very odd comment well i liked and rachel's also, uh frankly, i believe sorry oh no I, I was just gonna go back to what you were saying about the you know the four parts of being an entrepreneur the freedom you know to give back the way you want to the freedom of money the freedom of time freedom of relationships i I think that was like so well put because the other day I was driving in the car and I started thinking about how different my life would have been if I had gone down the path that I originally intended, which was to become an occupational therapist. And I thought I'd probably be, you know, like working for someone, you know, I might be working in a hospital or working in some sort of facility. Like that's what I would be doing. And I said, you know, not that it wouldn't be fulfilling. I'm sure I would love my work, but I just got this like overwhelming sense of like gratitude for the fact that like, but the work I'm doing now is all on my terms. You know, I, I treat the clients I want to treat. I work when I want to work. I can, you know, cut out time for my family when I want to cut out time. The amount of money I make in a week, it can all be projected based on what I feel is important at this time. So I, I love that yeah. you said that because that's the biggest reason why I could not ever go back to working for someone. It's also it's also your ability to 
choose how you split up those four things yeah in what proportion mm-hmm. you spend those right yep. if i'm working for somebody else well I, and i'm and i'm stuck on someone's clock then you're tied then a lot of these things become fixed and then that's it i have the freedom to make any of these four things sit with whatever size i choose yeah so yeah, yeah. I, I really like huge. that awesome yeah and i think also like there's something to be said for you know, there's a tipping point that happens. I just want to like point this out because it sounds really great in theory, but there's a tipping point that happens in the beginning um, where you're doing all of the things all the time and you feel spread too thin and you might start to burn out yep. because you haven't yet learned to delegate. And so I just want to like point out, it's very, very important. And this is when I, when I think about how great, grateful I am for coaching this is one of the things that a coach pointed out was like, Rachel, you're trying to do literally everything. You need to start delegating to your front desk folks. You need to start outsourcing, whether that's a virtual assistant or, you know, people, some online service, like you, you need to start delegating. And when I, when I did, that was really what enabled me to take control of my time and actually expand to more locations and to take on more of a consulting practice, which is kind of where I've been drawn lately. And so I feel like, so much of that ability to delegate is is just like your your freedom hinges on your ability to delegate because you know if you're doing every single thing yourself it's too much it's just like you don't have any balance at all well yeah and like we do it it's funny because we actually often talk about the fact that in the early stages of owning a business there usually isn't any kind of such thing as a, a work-life balance. No, you're just, you're working, period. you're working, you're working, you're working. You're trying to get stuff off the ground. But at some point you yeah. do need to reevaluate, you know, if you're five years in or whatever it is, you know, whatever time frame, and you're like, well, I'm still doing this. Like I'm still grinding all the time. I'm still, you know, my entire life is my business. Then at that point, you really need to step out of it and look at the business objectively like what what isn't working here or what am I where do I need to delegate even if it's not delegating you know what things maybe don't need to take priority prioritizing is a huge thing when you're running a business you know like what are things that are oh, yeah. urgent and important and you know what needs to get done in order to get this business running efficiently and now that you guys are saying all yeah. this for anyone that's listening if you this is like a this to me everything that was just said is the true test if you are an entrepreneur or not. Mm-hmm. It's not just doing the work, right? It's it's wanting to have control. It's oh geez, everything you guys just said. <laughs> everything you guys just said. That is that is the test right there. Yeah. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, then you don't really want to own your own thing. No, being an entrepreneur and working for yourself are two very different things. And we've talked about that before. You can have your own private practice, as you said, Rachel, where you can just be, you know, treating your patients and you know, it's your own thing and you're not working for anyone. But that's not the same as you know being an entrepreneur and actually like running this type of multi-million dollar business like you're doing this is a whole other beast that you're doing and on top of that you've got the coaching and now the book and the book <laughs> just like the coaching business kind of came off by fluke because from what it sounds to me and I'm no psychotherapist I'm just you know he, uh, maybe totally off in left field but what it sounds to me is um 
you're already an anxious person that you admitted. <laughs> you are mm-hmm. an overthinker and a recovering perfectionist. And now the state of the world has put you in a position where there's very little you can control. You're closing down businesses and you have a baby. So you're now responsible for a whole other human life. So you needed something, some way and if she wasn't to keep out, your shit together. Right. She wasn't freaked <laughs> out. You are a million percent. You just ding, ding, did it. Spot on. Yeah. You have my number. You so, needed yeah, you to know, keep I your guess, shit together. I felt like, you know, as a new mom in a pandemic, I, I'm, I, in my, in my before mom life for the last 12 years have been a massage therapist, entrepreneur, you know, business owner, just very strongly tied to my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I've always been very, very good at, you know, if I want something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. Nothing is impossible. I will sort this. I will make it happen. Like I've, from my sheer will, I will figure it out. I know it. I'm, I have faith in that. And so when this happened and there were so many things out of my control, I was like, you know what? Like something good has to come of this. And I always, whenever bad things happen, I try to ask myself, okay, what's good about this or what's great about this? And, and I feel like it, it puts me in a little bit of a better headspace you know, because if you're in a if you're in a bad headspace, you really don't have access to the resources of that are deep in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, like to tap into your own resilience and your own resourcefulness, you have to just start in a good headspace. And I'll tell you, I was in a pretty dark headspace when the business is closed. Because first of all, it just never happened. Second of all, I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to reopen all four of these things, and I have a bad feeling I won't. Third, in New York City, things were getting very dark and scary. Um, yeah, and and. You know, being in a hospital and giving birth was scary enough, let alone let alone during a pandemic. Um, but, you know, I, I did feel like I was losing so much of my identity. And this was one thing that I knew. You know what? I've had these conversations a million times with my consulting clients. I could, I could write this book very easily from a very honest place. And I was very in touch with the emotions. I kept thinking about what are all the things that I had to overcome to start my practice? What are all the you know, psychological things like anxiety or depression or fear of rejection, fear of failure, because I had all of those things. I still do have a lot of those things, you know, and I think it's something, it's a practice. And so, you know, for me, writing the book was really cathartic. And also just, it gave me a sense of peace and calm because it was a space where I knew what I was saying. I felt very much in control and I loved the habit. I love a good habit. So I love the habit of, getting up, you know, every time that baby went down and just writing, writing, writing. And it it gave me a sense of purpose during a time where there wasn't a lot of purpose, you know? Why are you making that face? I'm making a face because I want to (laughs) know what does fear failing mean? I think for me, it's a funny one. I think the biggest, in the beginning, you know, it's changed over the years. In the beginning, it meant moving back to Detroit, Michigan and in with my family, who I had been very strongly avoiding for, for moving in with, you know, since I was 17 and went to boarding school because I got myself into a boarding school and then went to New York because I wanted to be away from Michigan. Right. So for me, it was like, if I fail, I have to go back to Michigan and I'm not doing that. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to stay in New York at whatever cost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then a little bit later, it was not that much later because I had employees. It was oh my God, these people are depending on me for income. Hmm. I better pull through. I better, you know, I, I, they're putting their face and their trust in me. I better keep this together for their sake. Um, which is, which is where it falls also during the pandemic is like, these are people who need me. I cannot fail them. I cannot close. Cause you know, if you think about it, it would have been a very convenient time in, in the trajectory of many women's lives who had a kid to say, well, 
you know, I have a kid now, so I'm, you know, I'm going to stop working. And that's okay. Like a lot of people make that choice. For me, it wasn't a choice though. It was something that felt taken from me and that, that didn't sit right. So for me, failure would have been not trying every possible thing I could try to figure out to make it work. I needed to try. Like I needed to just like, I needed to get my head together and to try. So, uh, you know, and, and there were moments where I was like, should I even reopen? Like, is it ethical to be doing massage in New York during a pandemic? Like, is it ethical? Like, it, what's the future of our whole industry? It got really dark. I was like, what happens if, you know, the schools aren't graduating many students? Or what happens if, you know, the whole industry has an, a difficulty? And, and, you know, frankly, we are heading in that direction. So I sit on both the school boards in New York. And I'll tell you, like, it's at Pacific College and Swedish Institute, the volume of students is way down. Mm-hmm. You know, and as someone who owns a business that depends on massage therapists existing, um, that's a little bit scary for me. Um, but at the same time, I just, I have so much hope for the future in that I have to operate from a place of abundance because it just doesn't work any other way. I am 100% on board with you. And it's funny because sometimes I try to push this stuff on other people and you know, you really can't, but like just an example I thought of when you were talking about, you know, being in a good headspace, um, the last few weeks have just been bonkers for us. Like, I don't even have a better word for it. We've been so, so busy. Like, I'm pretty certain that Mark has worked, I'm not exaggerating, like 16 hours per day, seven days a week. Like, it's just been, it's just been, I mean, it's a busy time. And, you know, we're gearing up for 2021 and trying to make sure that we're, we're going to be accessible to everyone. You know, there's the people who, don't do well with virtual learning. So how can we safely, you know, do training in person for those people? There's the people who are way too uncomfortable to do in-person training. Okay, how can we make courses virtual? You know, how can we do all the things for all the people, right? So we've been Mm -hmm. super busy. And I mean, it's getting to me. I'm at the point now where forming sentences some days is is tough. I mean, there's nothing like having a kid to, to like put some perspective too of like, Okay, so this is everything is really good. Okay, it's a phase. It'll pass. Everything is really bad. It's okay. It's a phase. It'll pass. It'll pass. Yeah. You know, just when you got used to him doing one thing, he's going to do something totally different. And mix it up. Oh man. A lot of a lot of that. I think you have to call on your own resilience in those moments because, you know, it's the difference between a business or a therapist who makes it and one who doesn't. It's not that one therapist is more smarter, you know, or more, you know, more dedicated necessarily it's it's that well i guess dedicated is the right word it's not that someone is smarter than someone else it's just that they're trying and they don't stop trying it's that they fail just as much but they just keep doing it like i can't tell you how many times i felt like i was failing <laughs> like i feel like i'm failing all the time I mean, and that's the other thing is like even just yesterday i was telling my husband like i feel like i'm you know at different moments of the day depending on how much sleep i've gotten felt like i was failing and even then it's like well, you know, if this is your failing, you're doing all right. <laughs> what's what's a bigger motivator for you? The feeling of failing or the feeling of winning? I think they take fun turns. <laughs> mm. I think sometimes sometimes I see a goal and I'm very like excited to, to get it. But it's actually, for me, I find the most happiness not in goal attainment, but in progress. Yeah. So um, the, the goal attainment is like a moment and, and it's an exciting moment, but it passes. But for me, the times where I'm happiest is just where I'm making progress towards something. 
So I feel like I'm mostly driven these days by the joy of the progress, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Um, You know, you talked about the fact that you recently became a mother. So I've got two children, which means that, you know, I'm constantly splitting my time and switching modes between business owner and parent, right? I'm back and forth. I'm, you know, driving them to activities, taking them to and from school, helping with homework, um, feeding them, meal prepping, all of the different things. And then, you know, doing the business stuff on the side. And plus, I do still have a practice. So I'm still treating patients as well. And I feel like on certain days, when I just, you know, I've, I've got... I've got the lists of all the things that have to be done and all of the goals and whatever. And on certain days when I can just check off like one little thing, you know, that's leading towards something, it's progress. And then I take, okay, the next step of that, this is when I'm going to do it. But like that feeling to me sometimes is even better than like getting to the end of something. So I'm like, I see where I'm going here. I have a very clear path. I see where I'm going. And, uh, yeah, I like that. I like that feeling of accomplishment. I need to have that every totally. single day. Like something has to get accomplished every single day. Exactly. And because there will always be a list. The yep. list doesn't go away. The list is life. There is you know? always, always, always a list. So if you can't take pride in the little the little victories along the way, even if they seem so small, it's something you got somewhere today. And then tomorrow, mm-hmm. this is where you're going to go. And just having that plan and the clear vision of where you're going and how you need to get there, then you can, you can definitely um, get some joy out of the small little steps that you've taken, even if, like I said, they're really small because I'm being pulled in 28 different directions at any given moment. Mm-hmm. I was I was listening the other day, and I'm a big Tony Robbins fan. So I know, I know he's cheesy, but I love that guy. Tony Robbins. I don't think he's cheesy. I think he's, I think he's wonderful. He was saying in a, in a, in a speech that, you know, the biggest thing about problems are that people think they shouldn't have any. When in reality, problems are a sign of life. The only people who don't have problems are dead. And so, you know, what happens is you learn to solve the problems around you and then you just get a bigger sphere of problems because, you know, the, the, they get more complex as you grow as a human. And I thought that was so fascinating because I, I love the idea that, like, problems are a sign of life. They're a sign that you're you're living, that you're, you know, a person existing in the world. And that, like, it's good that you have problems. It means that you're, like you know, moving through the world and not just like sitting still all the time. I don't know. I I thought that was really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about that. I like that perspective a lot because it's something that I, I very often notice is, you know, when people get really worked up about something that is, it's a problem. Yes. But I'm like, this is just life. Like this is just an everyday challenge that, you know, everybody's dealing with something and you can, you can get upset about it and you can get, but it's not fixing it. It's not, it's not a solution. So when something like that happens, if you can just change your mindset from like, fuck, why me? Why doesn't anything ever work out for me to, all right, this is shit. How do I make it better? How do I make it not shit? Yeah. And then just go for it. It's a one word change. It's instead of why is this happening to me? It's why is this happening for me? Hmm. Like, what am I meant to learn from this? Like, what is like, what if the universe is on your side calling you to grow? And this is this problems are just the universe on your side calling you to grow and change. And maybe things are happening for you for a reason. Maybe. And there's some people who are listening who are like, no, you two are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's some woo-woo shit, right? This is some woo-woo shit. I'm, I'm, you know, an atheist in the room and I'm like totally, you know, a science-minded, science-based, you know, approach. But 
I do like evidence-based medicine all the way, but I do think if you're able to receive things in, in that kind of headspace, you're a lot more likely to be able to figure out what the solution is. Because, you know, I mean, if you imagine you break your arm and you go to the hospital and the doctor starts freaking out, <laughs> that's not very <laughs> helpful. You know, you have to take control over the part of your mind that's freaking out and say, look, like we got to approach this in a different way so that we can find creative solutions, you know, because otherwise, like nothing's going to move forward. We're just going to sit around freaking out. And as anxious as I am, I also like taking action. I like just making a strong decision, deciding and then doing it. Isn't that isn't that a characteristic of certain people with anxiety? I know it is for me. I also deal with anxiety. And one thing that um, I notice is I need to be in control of things. So and I know that is like, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad characteristic, but I know it's also a symptom of my anxiety. I need to control things. Totally. <laughs> I don't like being out of control. One way that I've gotten around that um, and made the lives of my employees a lot better is by cultivating a certain degree of ignorance around work. So, um, so what I mean by that is uh, I have this rule with our front desk, which is if something breaks or happens and it costs less than $50 to fix it, go ahead and fix it and tell me about it after the fact. Don't call me with the problem. <laughs> don't tell me about it. Tell me about it after. And with, with our operations manager who I've brought on, which is part of the reason I've been able to scale is I brought on, you know, this phenomenal director of operations who, you know, she, she lives and breathes day-to-day management. And I gave her a much higher number and said, if something breaks or there's a problem with a, a client or something, and it costs less than this much, which is a much higher number, Go ahead and take care of it. Tell me about it after the fact, but I don't want to be involved in the decision-making process. I want to cultivate ignorance. <laughs> that was my, my specific, <laughs> I don't want to know because, because for me, I'll be like, okay, well, did you try this and did you try that and did you look here and did you fix that? And, and honestly, um, if you hire adults and you work with adults uh, and you treat them like adults, they'll figure it out. And, and even more so, they'll figure it out. And if they know me, they'll write it down in our operations manual, which is wonderful, so that everyone else can figure it out from here on out. And a stranger off the street can look at that manual and tell you exactly how to fix it. And sometimes creative things happen, and I, I hear about them in our Monday meeting, and I'm always like, wow, I can't believe that happened last week. And then I think to myself, I'm really glad I didn't have to be involved in that. <laughs> like, Thank God it's you making decisions and not me who's like sleep deprived and angry and like pissed off right now, hmm. you know, because I would have had a much less happy thing to say to that particular client. <laughs> I love that. Cultivate ignorance. I'm, I'm fired from that part of my practice these days uh, intentionally because I empower the people around me to make decisions and they do an amazing job. You know, which it just clears some of my headspace. It clears some of my my noise in my day to day, which allows me time to do really cool things like hang out with my baby and write and go on walks and drink lattes. <laughs> Fantastic. So when did when did your book actually become available? And I'm sorry, can you repeat the title of it? Because you started talking about it. And I was like, wait, 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 no book yet. But I'm ready now. Let's talk about the book. <laughs> sure. It's called Massage MBA. And it's available January 11th, um, paperback, and it's also available, you can pre-order it on Kindle if it's before January 11th. So who, who can benefit from this book? Who are your, who's your target market here? My target market for this book, I would say the folks who can benefit the most are massage therapists who want to start a private practice, but are scared 
and anxious or don't know how, or people who just started and they feel like, you know, maybe there's a few more things I should be doing that I haven't really been doing, or even people who've had their business for a little while who need a refresh. Um, and maybe they want to learn some new opportunities and, and look into some different things. I, I do a really deep dive into uh, everything from management to marketing to how to get good PR for your business for free. So there's a lot of good tidbits in there. And is most of this written from your personal experience, Rachel, or did you put a lot of research into this as well? So it's a lot of both. Um, I, I did write a lot of my personal journey uh, in, the, in the first part of the book. And then I also talk a lot about my business practices, but I interviewed some of the top therapists in our industry. Um, and there should be some familiar names in there because they run some of these really big Facebook groups. And um, I've interviewed quite a lot of folks who are in that six and seven figure range because I wanted to see, okay, well, this has been my experience, but how, how do you do it? You know, and it might be totally different. Like for some, they love selling products. For me, products were never really a thing. Um, I understand the, that there's value there, but I, I feel like our bread and butter is really in massage itself. Um, but, the, you know, there's quite a lot of other practitioners who, who've done different things. So I tried to, to keep it agnostic and just interview a whole bunch of people um, and get a lot of really good information. So there should be a lot of helpful stuff in there. That's awesome. Um, we've got some standard questions that we go through with people. But before we do get into those, I know there's probably some people listening who are like, you know, just intrigued with everything you're saying, you know, you're resonating with people right now, they want to get in touch with you. I think this is a good time for anyone that wants to, you know, either pick your brain, maybe hire you for some consulting. Um, how do people get in touch with you? Sure. My website is wellnessbusinessconsulting.com. And I'm always happy to jump on a free 15 minute call and talk about whatever needs are and and just hear about what the state of your business is and how things are going. So I'm always, always around, happy to do that. Um, and I'm also uh, on the Instagram and the Facebook. It's just <laughs> my name, which is Rachel Bider, B-E-I-D-E-R. The Instagram and the Facebook. How old are we? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Mark, no do you that. do you want to yeah, ask yeah, Rachel yeah. our standards? Well, I think I think some of the standard questions we're going to hold off, but I'm going to I'm going to stray a little bit. If okay. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I don't think talking about a massage technique really is matters in this moment. So, well, let's let's start here. And neither the five year plan. No, we don't need it. We don't need that. <laughs> so, the first one is of all of the educators, mentors, coaches that you've had, who has been the most impactful on on you and and how you do things. Well, I would say there's so many is the challenge. Um, I would say. Uh, Definitely, there is a woman who is super helpful for me when I had just opened my second location and I was like totally, totally pulling my hair out, freaking out because I was trying to manage two locations with 18 treatment rooms by myself. And her name is Victoria Foster. And she had a, a program called Future. She has a program called Future Women X, which I thought was really cool. And uh, they took us through a one-week um, exploration of working with C-suite people. So women, women who are in like the C-level, so CEO, CFO, COO. Mm -hmm. And those women, uh, they basically had our backs the entire week and helped us understand and problem solve and think through. And it's sort of like, it's, it snuck it into my head of like, oh, this is what it looks like to have someone else have your back 
and you can hire this position. Like mm-hmm. you can hire someone to do this. And I was like, Oh, cause I, I sort of got the value of hiring someone, but I couldn't wrap my head around how much it would cost. And I, I was so scared of spending the money and it not working out. But the moment I understood like, no, this is what it feels like to deeply trust someone else with your business, which is scary. I was like, okay, I can do it. And, and I did. Amazing. And the last question, we we don't have it prepared. We normally just come up with it based on the conversation that's happening. So my last question for you is going to be one of the questions that you ask your coaching clients. What are you tolerating right now? Mm, what am I tolerating? That's a good one. I was, you know, it's funny. I was literally just thinking about that earlier today. Um, for me, I think I have never... I think I know. Um, this is this is an embarrassing one, but I have had this email collector on my business consulting site for three years, collecting emails from people who want to put their email in to receive a newsletter. And I've never emailed anyone. I've never sent my newsletter ever. I've never made a newsletter <laughs> for my for my consulting business. I do them all the time for my massage business, but I am tolerating not sending a newsletter. And so uh, I literally just started playing around with ConvertKit and with uh, SamCart and a couple of other fun things. And so I am taking steps towards creating some opt-in ideas and uh, having having an actual page that will eventually send you an email at some point. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I know that's an embarrassing one, right? Like I've never, I have all, I've literally like 800 consulting clients on this email list and I've never emailed them before. Well, Mark just, Mark just turned the tables on you and now you have admitted this publicly to hundreds of thousands of people. So you got to hold me accountable. You are accountable now, Rachel. I, you know what, I'm going to have to sign up on your email list and I want a newsletter. No, I'm kidding. Someone send her a message on on either the Facebook or the Instagram three months from now. Just and your your message is only this: Did you do that thing? Did you do that thing? Did you do that thing? So somewhere between now and three months from now, any one of our listeners find her on the Instagram. Find her on the Facebook and just one line. Did you do that thing? Did you do that thing? And I will say, I will do it because I said I would. I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, because I said I would. And I was like, fuck yeah. You know, (laughs) that's actually like one of mine and Mark's like most commonly said things to each other is like, as I said, you know, sometimes we are definitely known to um, try to do all the things. And every so often, like I might say to him, oh, you need to take a break, you know, uh, block off tonight, take a break. You know, you're, you're going too much. And he's like, oh, but I got to do this meeting. I'm like, why? Because I said I would. And I'm the exact same way. I actually had once had a friend um, say this to me almost in like, I think it was, she was trying to be insulting, but I was like, um, thank you. Uh, we I had made plans with somebody and sort of very last minute, she switched up the plans on me and I wasn't too thrilled about it. And at the time I had a baby. So, I mean, you know, Rachel, having a baby, like <laughs> schedules fucking matter. And so I was a little annoyed because somebody had switched up plans on me like super last minute. And I was, you know, venting about it to another one of our friends. And I said, I just, you know, it's, it's just like super disrespectful, you know, like if, if we've made plans to do something, then I expect that it's going to be done this certain way. And she says to me, she goes, oh yeah, exactly. She goes to me, well, 
I think that you feel that way because you're the type of person, like if you say you're going to do something, you actually do it. And I'm like, am I supposed to be insulted right now? Because yeah, I feel like that's how people should be. If you say you're going to do yeah. something, actually fucking do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And most importantly, if you tell yourself you're going to do it, you have to do it because I feel like if you start letting yourself down, you get into really bad habits in that way. And, yep. and like, it's just like psychologically and like it's bad for your soul I think if you say I'm going to do this thing and then you don't do it because then you can't count on yourself and that's no fun so yeah. you know I'm going to do it stay tuned for a newsletter guys it's happening All right. it is going to happen well before did we wrap up that to, <laughs> did you do that thing before we wrap up tonight since it is getting quite late and you know I know that you're going to have a wake up call at 6am um, is there anything else that you want our listener, listeners to know about you or about your consulting business or about running a business or about your book, anything else that we haven't talked about tonight? I think if I could leave with some final words, it's just, I feel like everybody is doing the very best that they can right now. And to give everyone a little bit of grace, given the state of the world, you know, and, and just to be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's my, that's my takeaway that I should follow myself too, just to be kind, to be kind to everybody, be kind to yourself, especially. All right. Words of wisdom from Rachel. Right on. This has been fun. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you. It was so fun talking to you. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.